Welcome to City Life Church, and this is our podcast. This is Pastor Dave Diefendorf, and we are so honored to have you join us today. Our passion is to help you discover who God is, grow in the likeness of Jesus, and lead well in this generation. I hope in this message, God will meet you where you're at and take you to the next level in your connection with Him and His kingdom. Enjoy the message. Now we got some amplification. I don't really need it, really. But uh, verse 43, it says, Awe came upon every soul. As they were doing this on a regular basis, it says, Awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So, man, when they met together in these specific ways, a culture was created. There was, it says there was a deep sense of awe of God's presence. It's like awe is just like joyful, reverent wonder. Like, man, God is in our midst. There was, God was miraculously answering prayers. Miraculously answering prayers. There was abundant generosity. Because what happens is when you realize of what Jesus has done, because of your brokenness, because of your sin, he comes in and heals you, restores you, and redeems you. And when a heart experiences something like that, there's nothing but, man, I want everybody to experience this. Man, I want everybody to be rescued and redeemed. And then you begin seeing that, oh my gosh, man, everything that he's given me, Every resource, every relationship, every background, every life experience, man, he's pulling that together for me to be a giver and not a taker, to be a generous one instead of one that soaks everything up. Because the world trains us how to just soak up. The kingdom teaches us how to give out. So they were, they were generous with not just their resources, but with their very lives, their time, their energy. It was like, because of what Jesus has done in my life, I now live for Christ. My life is on the altar. I died when I gave my life to Christ. Now it's him living through me. And of course, we grow up into that. But then it said their needs were met. Their needs were met. Do you know what happens to someone who grows up with conditional love, false expectations, and they've never really been given uh, what they need? And it was like, it's not just a money resource issue. It's a relational deficit. It's an emotional deficit. It's a family deficit. And so what happens when people get rescued into the kingdom of God, they, be, they go from orphans to family. And sometimes it's very hard for us to kind of like maybe make that jump. You know, it's just very, it's very easy as an orphan. It's like, it's up to me. It's all on me. I need to provide for me. 
And I, or, or if you have other, if you're in a family, it's like, I need to provide for my family, all on me. But it was like, man, when the, when the disciples got together, it was like, man, that orphan, when those needs are met time and time and time again, oh my gosh, this is different. This is like family. These guys aren't leaving me. These guys I trust. I no longer become an orphan. I become part of a son and daughter of the living God. It created an inter interdependent reliance on one another. It says they met day to day. They were meeting in the temple. Why? As, as the message of Jesus was going out more and more, there was more and more resistance, more and more need to say, man, I need you in my life. There was an interdependent reliance. They, it ensured their lives and families. Now check this out. When there's interdependent reliance, it ensures that their lives and families are covered, are protected, are nurtured, are encouraged for the challenging journey in storms of life. When there's interdependent reliance. And there's so much of our culture that, or maybe growing up or whatever, that has trained us to just be self-reliant. You weren't made to be self-reliant. That's why we're relational beings. There's a reason, there's a purpose in that. And then lastly, what I kind of get from this whole, like, what God was doing with these people is that there was a tremendous faith. That there is a tremendous faith that the God who can do the impossible can do the impossible through his people. And there was just a kind of a, a wild faith in that first of just like Jesus is here, y'all, and he can do what he does. He does what he does best. When God rescues and redeems his people, he does not do so for them to be bystanders for the rest of their life but to be thrown directly in the middle <laughs> of his plans for this and future generations. I mean, that was kind of like how my life was before. I mean, I was just bystander. I, I grew up in church, bystander. I just, as, as life was kind of going up, bystander. I kind of knew that God had some dreams and callings and purposes for my life, bystander. I just didn't know how to like, but man, when God, when I just, when, when you get, when the born again thing happens, man, Jesus begins taking control. And he throws you in the middle of a battle that maybe you didn't even know was going on. But you just wake up and you're like, oh my gosh, my life was in a battle. And I'm now like outside and I'm, oh my gosh, I'm still in a battle. This is a battle. This is a spiritual battle. His unfolding story in history, you are smack dab in the middle of God's unfolding plan in this generation. How wild is that? I think sometimes we become maybe too familiar with the craziness and wonderfulness of God's calling and plans for your life. Growing up in church, kind of thought the goal was to just be a nice guy. You keep going to church to meet other nice guys. Maybe, you know, do some business. Maybe kind of do some family things together. Pretty much we're nice people. Versus when you really start being an authentic disciple and follower of Jesus, you realize that 
church is just the tip of the iceberg, that there's so much more to experience in Christ. The Christian life has to be lived to be known. The Christian life has to be lived for it to be known. Kind of in our Western culture, we think, if I know the facts, if I know the concepts, it's known. That's not how it is in following Jesus. It's that I live it out, therefore I know it. It's not just a concept. And therefore, following Jesus is more caught than taught. Uh, I, I knew a lot about the gospel, but it wasn't until God put a dis another disciple who was growing, who was hungry, who was zealous around me, and I began catching, man, that's what a disciple looks like. All I had was just a good churchgoer. That was my category. That was like, if you want to follow Jesus, good churchgoer. Man, I was doing that. I was, but I was, my heart was still yet unfulfilled. But when Jesus comes in and wins that and says, hey, you need to be a disciple, not just a Christian in name. I never called you to just be a Christian in name. I never said that. But we've reduced that, that that's what Jesus has said. No, it's to be a disciple. And so this tremendous community is coming together. They're growing. They're giving. They're generous. They're expanding. Now look what plays out a couple chapters later in Acts 4. Peter and John were hauled before the Jewish council for preaching Jesus and the gospel of the kingdom. And they happened to heal a crippled beggar. And so it, 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 it threw up the Jewish council in uh, confusion, frustration, what's going on, and they were commanding them to stop preaching. Now, we kind of went through this, but we're going to kind of go through this whole passage. It says in, in verse 19, But Peter and John answered them to the Jewish council, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak what we have seen and heard. It says, and when they had further threatened them, they let him go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for they were all praising God for what happened. It's amazing that when people are in control doing the wrong thing, when people rise up with a lot of voice, they tend to shut up. Anyway, uh, that was free. That was, uh, that was a free nugget right there, uh, worth the price of admission. Anyway, verse 22, for the man on whom this sign of healing was performed, he was 40 years old, the, the crippled beggar, he was an older guy, had been there, the condition for so long, and everyone knew that he had been healed by Jesus. In verse 23, when they were released, so man, Peter and John, they're getting grilled. When they were released, look what happened. Where'd they go? They went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together with God and said, now hold on. So Peter and John, you know, you just, I mean, irregardless of like our concept of like Peter and John, and they're like, oh man, these godly people. Imagine getting thrown in front of like the head Jewish, being a Jewish person in that culture, the head Jewish like litigation kind of court and they're grilling you and telling you to stop preaching Jesus. I'm sure there was just kind of like, John, are we sure about this? <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm sure there was just surety in their heart. But then after that 
probably stressful encounter before the, they go right to their friends, the community. And they say, hey, here's what happened. And that community surrounds Paul and Peter, or Peter and John, and the community prays this prayer together. And I'm just, we're just going to read through this prayer. We read through a section of it earlier, but we're going to get the whole nugget today. All right. So they lifted their voices together to God and said this. Sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. Times haven't changed. History always repeats itself. For truly, in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed... The place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. It was this community that came together and prayed this big faith prayer, confessing, God, we need you to show up. Consider their threats. Lord, you're right in our midst. You know what's going on. God, show up that you may be known. Man, there's this sense of awe. A guy gets healed. Peter and John are persecuted for it. And this small community around them rally to celebrate, to encourage, and to offer this powerful prayer. These friends of Peter and John had well-developed spirit of faith. And that's what community does. It helps develop a mature spirit of faith. They knew the reality to their resistance. It's not like they were just kind of like, well, we're just really optimistic and we're just going to kind of ignore what's really going on. They had a very clear sense of what was coming against them. But they were trusting God to do what he do. Amen? All right. You've heard that phrase, show me your closest five friends and I'll show you your future. Ooh. Show me your closest five friends and I'll show you your future. Well, if, if you want to have a well-developed attitude of faith in your walk with Christ, like these believers did, then you better get around some people that have that kind of level of faith. Not hard. There's one final facet that it was interesting. It just kind of jumped up. I've never attached it to a message like this. But there's one final facet to this community that was actually making it turn the world upside down. It wasn't just that they met together or they heard teaching or they had deep fellowship or they were eating together or praying together or developing this well, robust faith as a community. Turn to Acts 9. This chapter details God calling a man named Saul 
who was a young rabbi in training that was harshly persecuting and imprisoning believers in numerous cities. He got fresh orders to go to Damascus to round up more followers of the way. And here's this story. In Acts 9, it's kind of our last section, then we'll wrap up. Verse 3, it says, Now, as he went on his way, Paul, Saul, at this point, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. And the men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was there without sight, and neither ate nor drank. So God calls this young, zealous rabbi in training. But check out verse 10. It says, Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias. You come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. I love Ananias' answer. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. Like Ananias, he's a disciple in Damascus. The Lord calls him to go, but he's like, God, I, you sure? Like, I think you got the wrong guy because you may be putting my life in risk. No, trust me. He says this, and he, but the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name. So the other thing about community is that there's kind of two types of people, not to fully reduce, and everybody's in a journey and a spectrum, but there's two kind of, there's a young, passionate man that the Lord was revealing himself to, and there was a disciple who obeyed the Lord and took the young man underneath his wings. That's what community does. And that's the number one objective to community is that we are disciples who are growing, who are maturing, and we're helping make other disciples, young men, young women like Paul. Are you a Saul? Kind of young in your faith? Or maybe you're just starting to lean in? Or, man, I'm just starting to grow. Hearing God's voice, moving in the power of the Holy Spirit, knowing God's word, that's signs of maturity. Are there yet? If not, hey, that's okay. Find yourself an Ananias. If you're a Saul, you need an Ananias in your life. Now there's others. Maybe you're like Ananias. You're a disciple in a city just kind of living life, and you're growing. You've been following Jesus for a season. You've been maturing. Are you an Ananias? 
Well, then you need a Saul. You need somebody to pouring, you pouring your life into. That's part of how the kingdom community retains and grows and has the life that it does. Is that we're disciples helping make other disciples. And discipleship's a team sport. I can't provide everything a single person needs, ever, ever. Because I'm one, I'm not God. Two, I'm st I still got a few squeaky wheels and working, but it's as the community comes around a person like, a, like Saul, he gets everything, she gets everything they need for life and godliness, but it comes through community. And so for this reason, we still today gather in community, but we also know that Sunday morning is not the time. I mean, Sunday morning's awesome. It's kind of like, man, uh, get to meet new people, get to kind of get a sense of what's going on, uh, get to refresh my faith every week. But really, what makes growing as a disciple of Jesus and helping make other disciples, that all happens in our life groups. In smaller communities that we have kind of around the city, where People are joining with others that want to grow with Jesus. There's teaching from God's word. There's discussion. There's fellowship, that deep heart to heart. There's eating together. There's praying together. But there's also in every one of our groups a deep sense of awe and God's presence being there. God is miraculously, we just met with our life group leaders kind of this last weekend getting ready for launch and just hearing the testimonies. God is miraculously answering prayers in our life groups. There's teaching. Okay, there's, there's been and will continue to be uh, a, a growing spirit of generosity, of family, of mature faith, growing our faith. And it's time, the time for being a bystander believer is over. <laughs> In this day and age, with what we've been kind of going through, God needs his church fully seated on the rock of Christ with him, his sons and daughters who are following his son, that they're fully seated uh, in not being a bystander, that God, we're in the game. God, you not only suited us up, God, you cleaned us up, you suited us up, but God, not to just sit on the sidelines, God, you called all of us to get in the game of what you've called us to do in this and future generations, amen? So, in order to do that, in order to grow, in order to get mature for here, for us, it's diving into life group. That's kind of just step one. If you want to start growing, it's I need to find my way to one of these life groups so I can actually start growing the way I know God made me to grow. So um, with that, I just want to welcome or bring Michaela back up. She can, she's going to kind of tell all the details for our life groups, and then she can kind of close us out. Thanks, Michaela. Okay. So I'm going to give you the practicalities of jumping into a life group. If I could just give my unbiased opinion, if you have yet to join a life group, there are no better people than people in this room to do life with. And I mean that sincerely. Uh, there's just, just amazing followers of Jesus in this room 
that you want to tether your life to. And so this is, this is our heart. We want you in community. As Dave was speaking, you know, sometimes I know community is hard and some of us have been hurt by community and that's real. Um, sometimes that takes us out of the game a little bit when the enemy comes and throws those arrows at us. But there is a kingdom principle that usually what the enemy uses to take us out, it's the very thing that God uses to heal us. And so I would encourage you, if community in your life is still a little bit scary um, from some past wounds, it's going to be community that God uses to, to heal that spot. And that, it's just his nature. That's, that's his goodness. Like we sang this morning, it keeps on getting better. So I would encourage you not to let that hold you back. And we would love to have everyone in a life group this semester. So let me give you the details of that. We are a commuter church. Everyone's a little bit scattered across the city. So we've got two life groups on the Kansas side and two life groups on the Missouri side. And I'm going to say those in order of when they meet. So we've got a Tuesday night group in South KC at the Snodgrass home and that meets at 7 30 yep you guys can wave if I call you out yeah yay, yay, yay. <laughs> and it's not like an applause meter thing you're not going to pick a life group based on the the loudness of cheer but every every group is great all right we've got we've got two groups on Wednesday we've got one in North Olathe at the Getford's home that meets at 7 p.m. And we also have another one on Wednesdays uh, at the Jensen Home in North Overland Park. That one starts at 6.30 p.m. And then we have one at thir on Thursday evenings meeting at the O'Briens. They're a little bit south of the plaza. And that one starts at 7 p.m. So those are the four groups that we'll have this semester. You are free to try a few groups before you settle yourself for the school year. If that is helpful to you, no problem. Um, if, here's how the sign-up is going to go. If you were in a life group last year and you are going to stay committed to that group, you don't need to do anything. Those leaders have your information, have your contact information. You guys are good to go, okay? If you are not in a group or you would like to try some other groups, maybe your schedule has changed this year or you're just in a little bit different season and you'd try to, like to try another group, we're going to ask you to sign up. The best way to do that is digitally. If you are on our email list, there is going to be an email in your inbox as soon as you leave church. It's going to have the options. You're going to reply to that email and give the details of which group you would like to sign up for or groups, if that's the case, if you want to try a few. Well, we hope this message has inspired you and challenged you to be the man or woman he's called you to be now and to see his kingdom grow in every area and arena of life. God is with you more than you know. For more information about our community here in Kansas City, please visit us online at citylifekc.org, and we'll see you next time on the City Life Podcast.